We're going today to a very familiar chapter to the book of Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and to be quite honest with you, this is, uh, this is a very famous chapter across religion as a whole. There are three predominant religions in the world that consider their roots to come from Abraham, and that is, of course, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Now, it's quite interesting because Judaism and Christianity, now, not all Christianity, but Book of Acts Christianity was not, not new necessarily. It was a sect of Judaism that began to believe in the Messiah. And then, of course, in the new birth process. Now, that has since changed. And theology has become very creedal. Your, their doctrines are drawn from creeds rather than scripture. Uh, and if scripture is involved, it's very manipulated. But all of, all of the sources of the faith of Judaism and Christianity, this is why we don't ever want to separate ourselves too much from the root. Because as Christians... We are not just Christian in our roots. We are Judeo-Christian in our roots. And believe it or not, the main issue that's transpiring to this very day on the Temple Mount in, in Jerusalem is because Islam feels like they have their roots in the same place we do. Ishmael was not the promised son of Abraham. But he was nevertheless the son of Abraham. And the Lord said that he would be like a wild ass, that he would be very strong and he would be very mighty. He would be a very mighty nation. And so today, the struggle on the Temple Mount is still between Isaac and Ishmael. And I know this is probably very unpopular. But I just want to tell you that when it's all said and done, Ishmael is going to have to move over. Because the promised son, the promised child, the promised seed is going to be reestablished on that temple mount. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. And we are going to see the kingdom of God advance on the earth. Amen. This story in Genesis 22 transpires along the same uh, lines and root system of what I'm talking to you about because... This is the story of Isaac being offered by Abraham, his father, on a mountain. Guess what that mountain is? That mountain of Moriah is the Temple Mount today. This is where Isaac was offered up. And today, that is where I believe the Lord is going to wrap this whole thing up. And so I just want to read to you. I'm going to spend some time in the chapter it's going to be a little different today, but I want to read to you some highlights coming through here uh, so that you can be seated, and then uh, I will allow you uh, to, to sit down, and then I'm going to talk to you just a little bit. Verse number 15, if you would. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. 
For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemy. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Verse 19 is where I want to draw our thought from today. So Abraham returned unto his young men. Abraham returned unto his young men. And they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Verse 19 tells us that when it was all said and done, Abraham goes back to the servants that he had told me and the latter going yonder to worship. And he said, we will come back to you again. And so when it was finished and the trial was over, the ram in the thicket had been discovered. Abraham returned back to his men. But I want to talk to you about the part That's only implied in this chapter. It's not written. It's implied. And that is very simply. That when Abraham went back to his men. To his servants. He did not go alone. Isaac walked back with him. And I want to talk to you today. About how the Lord has been talking to me over the last week. You can be seated. Last Sunday morning at 642. I sat up in the bed out of a dream, and the Lord showed me a vision that was just as clear. You know how dreams are sometimes. Um, You know everything that's transpiring, although there was nothing leading up to it. It's like you wake up in this story, and you know what's happening. And I saw an old man and a young man, and they they were like holding hands, embracing, holding hands, walking down this mountainous path. And I knew in that moment that it was Abraham and Isaac. And the Lord asked me a question. He said, would you walk back with me? And I thought it was quite an odd question. And the Lord said, this is the part of the story that you don't read in Abraham and and, uh, about Abraham in Genesis 22. And so I'm going to take a few moments and just set this up. I feel like somebody here needs to hear this. I couldn't get this out of my spirit. And I'm going to try to help somebody today. Abraham and Isaac leave on a journey that, quite honestly, I'm not sure many of us would survive the moment of leaving the tent door. Because when they disembarked on their journey, Abraham knew why they were leaving. Isaac did not. Now the image that's so easy for you to grab from this story if you read it, because Abraham calls him a lad, I and the lad are going to go worship, you get the idea that Isaac is a little boy walking with his father. If you read correctly, you understand he's not a little boy, he's a full-grown man. So there is the trust of the son that's walking with the father. There is the trust of the father that he has to trust his heavenly father. That God's motives are always pure. You either believe that all things work together for the good or you don't. 
Now, that's not enough to excite a lot of people, but I'm telling you right now, sooner or later in this walk of faith, honest to God, I wish everybody that's in this room would have been here at 10 o'clock because Brother Jordan just gave me the introduction to my sermon. If, if I could have just had him teach that and me took the microphone, it would have been a great introduction. You don't sacrifice to the Lord for what you're going to get back from it. You do it because it's righteous. Abraham did not go to the mountain to sacrifice Isaac to the Lord because he knew that the Lord would give him something in return. He did it because it was the righteous thing to do. It was a difficult journey. And so these are two grown men, one old man and one younger man, one middle-aged man, perhaps in his early 20s, walking with his father to a destination that Isaac had no clue where it was. And the Lord just said, just walk three days. Now listen. There's a part of this journey, I've got to teach this to you. I'll, I'll try to preach this to you as I go. But there is a powerful understanding right here, a, a principle that we're going to miss if we're not careful. Why in the world did the Lord make him go a three-day journey? Well, duh, Pastor, because Mount Moriah was three days away. No, I, I think there's something deeper than that. That's the obvious part. There was a particular place that God wanted to meet him. That is true. But why... Didn't the Lord allow him to be somewhere closer to this at the base of the mountain where they could have just ascended? I'm going to tell you why. It's because there are seasons in your life that you're going to have long three-day walks ahead of you. That you're going to have time to contemplate whether or not you really heard from God. You can be seated. There's going to come a time in your life where you're going to have to Spend time alone while your mind is churning and you're wondering, is this really the will of God? It was a three-day journey because Abraham had time to count the cost. Lord, is there not some other way that you could do this? Is there not some other way that you could fulfill your word and accomplish this? I've waited all my life. To receive this child, to receive this boy. And now I've watched him grow into a man. We know that he's aged to be married because two chapters later, they're looking for a wife for him after Sarah, his mother, passes away and is buried in Machpelah. We know that Isaac is a full-grown man. And Abraham is saying, Lord, I've just now come to the place where I'm finally going to get to see my grandchildren in the next few years. And you want my promise. Three days of walking and your son asking questions that you don't have answers, at least not answers that you want to share with him. And they're really good questions. I mean, Isaac is old enough to reason. He's old enough to contemplate. He is very cognizant of his surroundings. And he looks at his father and he said, uh, hey, dad, I, I, I've noticed there's something strange here. I've been with you a long time. I've seen sacrifice before. I have seen you sacrifice before. And I see a lot of elements involved here. I see fire. I see wood. But where's the offering? I'm going to lay something in your lap today that is probably not going to be pleasant to your palate when you first taste of it. But I have found this year that oftentimes the answers to my questions that I've asked God 
are not the kind of answers that I want. Because the answer to Isaac's question of where is the sacrifice, the answer was, you're it. Now we know there was another answer that came later, but folks, listen to Pastor this morning when I tell you that answer did not come until they had already gone as far as they could go. And so they're walking, and Isaac's questions are good. I see fire, I see wood. Now what about a lamb? What are we going to do for a sacrifice? How's this going to work? And the faith of Abraham is amazing, although I think somehow, although prophetic in connotation, he circumnavigates the answer. God will provide himself a lamb. That's a really good politically correct answer because, Isaac, I don't want to tell you what God really told me. God told me that you are going to be the sacrifice. So let me just say by faith, I believe that God is going to provide himself a lamb. I believe that God is going to provide himself a sacrifice. And they walk. And Isaac walks without answers. And Abraham walks having to hold on to the answer that he doesn't like. This is so interesting. And they make their way up the mountain. And I've wondered so many times, at what point does it become apparent to Isaac? This is not going to get any better right now. There's not going to be a lamb. We have come to the top of the mountain. We have made it to the plateau. We have hit the flat spot. We've got the altar built. We've got the fire. We've got the wood. We've got the dagger, but there's still no sacrifice. And Abraham has to look at him with eyes of disappointment and say, Son, I've brought you all this way to tell you. But I need you to lay down on this altar. Disappointing. Full-grown man. Now, you can believe this however you want to. But I wouldn't even pay $5 to see a fight between a, let's just say, a 25-year-old man and a 100-year-old man. I wouldn't do it. I mean, how horrible would it be to watch a young man, vivacious, full of energy, full of life, full of power, has authority over all of his members, and a staggering father of 100 years of age, and he says, you, you're, you're going to do what? I'm going to lay you down on this altar. Okay, big man, if that's the way you think you're going to do it, we're about to square off right here. I'm going to knock your head off your shoulders. You're not going to lay me down anywhere. Oh, no. Because Abraham had taught his son the power of obedience. You don't just honor God by what God speaks to you. You honor God by what God speaks to your authority as well. Oh, my. I think I just preached right there and somebody may have missed that. So if you believe that Abraham had to wrestle Isaac down and put him on the altar, I believe you've got a wrong concept. I believe that Isaac laid himself down on the altar knowing that this was the will of God. Now, this is hard to swallow. But the more you read in the scripture, you find out that the will of God is way different than you imagined. I just want you to think about 
A young man full of life and energy laying himself down on that altar, allowing his father to tie his hands down. What's going through his mind in that moment? I'm getting ready to die. This man that I've trusted is going to kill me right here. Can you imagine what's going through his mind and knowing all of the time that the pain I'm about to encounter is the will of God? Woo! I don't want anybody running right now. The will of God in your life does not always feel beautiful. Deliverance and restoration do not always feel beautiful. How many of you believe that God restored Jonah to preach to Nineveh? But where did God restore him? Jonah said it, that he restored me in the pits of hell. He restored him in the belly of a whale that was swimming in the ocean. It didn't smell like deliverance. It didn't look like deliverance. It didn't taste like deliverance. But it was the delivering work of God's restoring power working in the life of a man that was confused. Now here's the truth. God's not the author of confusion, so don't run off with this and put words in my mouth. But I'm telling you folks today, listen to this man. I've, I've heard it. I used to, to, to say it when I was a kid that fear and faith cannot coexist. It's a lie. I've had people look at me and say, well, son, fear and faith don't coexist. That's not true. Because I found out that oftentimes... It's really not even faith unless it scares me to death. Why would it take faith to do something that's easy to do? Do you believe that Peter, when he stepped out of the boat to walk on water, was just like, oh yeah, this is sweet, man. This is going to work. I've seen it work all my life. i watch people walk on water. Because faith will take you down paths where people have never walked before. 2020 has been a year of walking pathways that we've never walked before. I believe this has been a sea walking year. We've had to go down pathways that you can't call somebody up and say, hey, how did you respond when you had to do this? How did you walk by faith when you had to do this? No, because faith will lead you down pathways that there's no light on, there's no direction on. You just got to walk by faith and not by sight. And if that don't scare you, you're not a human being. I'm going to tell you the selfish side of me. Said, I said to my family the other day, and please don't take this in an ugly way, but I said to my family the other day, I said, you know, in times like this when everything's in chaos and, 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 and uh, politicians are acting like lunatics and, and uh, people are burning stuff down and people are getting sick and all that, I said, this would be a good time to just take care of you and your own family. I said, it's a heavy load being responsible for hundreds of people that you know every time they come to church, they're doing it because they believe pastors executing good judgment. We're going to come together and have church. I've laid in bed at night with my stomach hurting, my head hurting, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, get up, pace the floor, walking in the night, in the darkness of the night, saying, God, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Please tell me, God, we're doing the right thing. And no answer. Because oftentimes the thing you've got to understand is when you're doing the right thing is when God gets quiet. 
He's already told you what to do. He's already told you how to trust him. He's already told you that he was going to walk with you. What we're saying sometimes when we want an answer is we're hoping that God would change his mind. You want the Lord to speak to you and say, no, close the doors. Lock the doors. Tell everybody to go home and be safe. And then you hear the voice that comes and it echoes off of the the, the portals of eternity. And it's completely contrary to that. It says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. I've told you this several times, but I've searched the scripture and have yet to find a place where a pandemic shuts down the 11th hour church before the coming of the Lord. It's not in the book. It's not going to happen. God is going to have to take care of us and we're going to have to do what we know to do. I can't imagine the Lord returning for a church. Now, please understand. I'm not throwing off on anybody. I'm talking about this church that I'm responsible for and you precious people. But I cannot imagine God coming back for a church hiding in their house. If you believe that, then you believe the whole point of the Passover was to stay in their house. They would have never left Egypt. Have I walked out of the scripture yet? Because when they came out of their house after a, a, a night of isolation and being in there by themselves, he said, all right, now it's time. Let's get out of here. You know what? If we're just looking at an eschatological timeline, I'm going to tell you what this, what this means to me. Is that when we come out of isolation and we come out of being in our house in a so-called quarantine or whatever you want to call it, the very next happening on the event calendar is an exodus. Now the importance of the exodus was being sure that you had blood on the doorposts and the lintel, that you were covered in the blood and foot of the lamb. So if I were you, what I'd be sure of is that while we're in a crazy season right now, I'd get covered in the blood and full of the lamb. That way whenever the exodus happens, I'm ready to go. We don't have time to lollygag and sit around and wonder what God's going to do. I'm going I'm to say this. It's going to sound insensitive, but let me be honest with you. At this point, I don't care if I do get to see the temple rebuilt. If we do, we do. It's going to be a beautiful thing. It doesn't matter to me if he does it now in the millennial reign. When it happens, all I know is when the trumpet sounds, I want to be ready to go. watched last night went to a restaurant and there was a couple standing there talking to one another and this gentleman passed by them. we were waiting to get in and get a seat and this gentleman passed by them and apparently the people thought he walked too close everybody had on masks every single person standing in line had a face diaper on and this man walked past them and the, the guy got livid. He looked at his wife and said, what's wrong with him? And she, the dude had already walked way, way past. He was like 40 feet past. And she goes, hey, I, I'm going to tell you all something. You may not believe this, 
But this present world has made people act like lunatics. It's unbelievable. I've never seen more anger. I've never seen more fear. I think everybody here is trying to practice caution and, 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 and do the best part that we can. It blows my mind. But we're, we're in a process here where there's not going to be a lot of answers coming. I'm just telling you. You're going to have to do what you know to do and do what's righteous and do it to the best of your ability. And keep on walking the right way. But it's messing with our logic. Because that couple got, they, they got all miffed up. I honestly God thought I was going to witness a fight. It had been funny to watch. But I thought I was going to witness a fight. And that man and his wife walked about 15 steps. Got in their booth, took their masks off. And a waitress walked right up three inches from their face. And he was like, oh, it's good to see you tonight. I'm like, you didn't just say that ten minutes ago. <laughs> Please understand, Pastor, when I tell you, I, I'm not just saying this to make light. But we're falling into systems. There's a, there's a lot of people in this church that's already been affected by this virus. But you're living in a fake world if you believe that it'll get you while you're standing up with your mask on. But it won't get you when you sit down with your mask off. Like there's a bubble around your booth. It's unbelievable. And we're buying into the fear to believe this is it. Look, I'm all right with going along to get along. I wear that dumb thing everywhere I go. Hurts my nose. I told my wife the other day, I, I sound like a teenager. I was like, man, my face was breaking out. She said, what's wrong? I said, it's just a dumb mask. It's okay, you can't see it when I'm in public because I wear a mask. And I'm already married, so she don't care. I was trying to figure out what's going on. I come home, she's got medicated face pads and all this stuff. I'm, not really, I'm just... What are you saying, Pastor? Okay, let me break it down Gerber style. Y'all ready to digest? I'm fixing to jump in, and I'm going to talk to you prophetically right here. Listen to Pastor. If we are not careful, we're going to buy into the system of letting this present world make decisions for us that we have the power to make ourselves through the Word of God. I say this with no disrespect, but more than likely, if the Lord don't come quickly at the coming of the Lord, we're going to be in the most anti-God society you have ever seen in your life. And it's not going to be convenient for us to be children of God. I, 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 don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But this, this past week, I saw this woman who was standing in Washington, D.C. She was preaching on a street corner, and I listened to what she was saying. She wasn't being rude. She wasn't she, at all. And there were people running up to her in her face, screaming, yelling, cursing, holding signs that said, F Jesus. Just standing out there saying what she felt was truth. 
this is the spirit of the age that we're up against. And these are the people that are saying to us, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. But when you're walking in the will of God, you don't have to be afraid. You need to be a good neighbor. And you need to be kind to people. And you need to get along with people. But do not live your life in fear. Do not live your life with anxieties. Except don't stay awake at night worrying about what God's going to do and how he's going to get us. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? How's this going to happen? Are we going to deal with this forever? All I'm telling you is that on the other side of all of this, there is going to be a payday someday. And if the wicked... If the wicked look like they have prevailed, it's all a smoke screen. It's not true. One of these days we're going to receive a reward and you're going to see that God has been in control. I guess now it's all right because it's out. So you, I guess you can use names. But the beloved governor of New York this week made a statement that he's not sure he'll ever open churches back up again to full capacity. And so my message to those governors are, you didn't have the power to open this church, and you don't have the power to close this church. Nero tried to do it and could not get it done. And if they close the doors of the church, there's always going to be a remnant of people there will always be a church. And this is where God's going to have to help us because the church has never been restricted to a building and it never should be restricted to a building. We are the body of Christ and there will always be a church. Don't be surprised if this video has a tag on it later that said these results have been argued. What, listen, what do you think the motive is behind saying you can only have so many people in your house at Thanksgiving? Why do they care about groups in your home? Because they know that if the church is closed, groups are going to homes. Oh, no, no, they're just being safe. They're not being safe because the same people saying that are sitting at tables of 50 and 100 people with no mask on, by the way. Pastor, is this political? It is not political. It's a biblical understanding that the gods of this world want God's children to bow down, and we're not going to do it. We're going to keep on believing. We may be laying on an altar right now and not understand the process, but we're going to say, God, if this is what you've got to do, then so be it. So be it. Bring it on. Somebody said, uh, some time ago, they said, you know, those two worlds have to stay separate. They can't. We've come to a place in society now that those worlds can't stay separate anymore. They can't. Because when it's trying to shut down the kingdom of God, which we know it can't, but they're going to do everything they can to try to shut it down. What they're trying to do right now by saying, sitting at home and having school, be sure your parents are not in the room while we're having class online because your parents are going to destroy what we're trying to teach you. If they can take the voice of the authority of the parent out of the house, then they don't have to worry about saying, well, this Sunday morning, whether you like it or not, you're getting up and going to church with us. 
And we're in that season right now. So, so, someone looked at me and said, man, this pastor's upset. I am upset because I've seen all across the country the fear that people are bowing down to right now. It blows my mind. We've got the Holy Ghost. Let me say it one more time. I said, we got the Holy Ghost. We got the Holy Ghost. Greater is he that's in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so these seasons of chaos, man, it feels weird. I don't like it. I feel out of control. I feel like my hands are tied. I feel like there's some things going on that people above me realize are going on, but I'm laying on this, this altar not having a clue what's going to happen next, but knowing pretty well if God don't step in soon, there's only one thing that can happen. And so the story unfolds. There's really no answers given other than just lay there and be quiet. And let me do what i got to do. And then comes the part that I've got to preach to you this morning. This, this hurt my mind. This is what the Lord woke me up with 6.42 last Sunday morning. Is that this boy, this man, who has laid himself down on the altar at the request of his father. Because his father said the Lord spoke to me and said to do this. Now has to figure out a way to trust this man again. Everybody's fixing to get uncomfortable, so just get ready. When I get up off of this altar because God has answered, I have to look into the eyes of that man that just told me to lay down there and trust him again. I'm not sure we're ready for this this morning. But the Lord began to show me some things. He said, son, I want you to just take note. And I could see the story unfolding in my mind. That when the angel of the Lord reached down and took Abraham by the hand. Get this picture in your mind. That he reaches down as Abraham goes to stick the dagger into the heart of his son. And an angel of the Lord stops him. And he looks up and he sees the hand of the angel. And he says, now I know. Look behind you. And in the thicket, there is an answer. The ram. It's in the thicket. It's right here. It's caught up because you're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, obeying God. And the answer's here. But it was in that moment, I had never thought about this, never seen it before, that I saw the same dagger that Abraham was about to put through the chest, through the heart of his son, that the angel released the hand of Abraham when he saw the answer and he kept the dagger in his hand and he turned it around the other way. So now the knife is on the top of his hand and he reached down to the ropes that he had bound his son to the altar with and he took the same thing that he was going to kill him with and he loosed him with it. The Holy Ghost said to tell the church that the things you thought have bound you up and have kept your hands tied up in the end time church, I'm about to take the very thing you thought was going to destroy you and I'm going to set you free with it. 
Can I tell you the Lord is not coming back for a weak church? He's not coming back for a tied down church. He's not coming back for a tied up church. He's coming back for a church that has a liberty. The very thing that was going to kill Isaac was the very thing that set Isaac free. This is not this. God have mercy. This is a prophetic picture of where we are in the church. And I watched Isaac get up. It doesn't say this in the scripture because the focus is on Abraham. But it seems like the father's always got the answers. And the children are trying to figure it out. But it said that Abraham walks over to the thicket and he grabs the ram. Brother Caleb sent me a video this week of a guy trying to wrestle a white-tailed deer. It was hilarious. He grabbed that deer by the horns. And that buck flipped his head like that. And that joker went flipping over. Landed on top of him, wrestled him, rolled him around. It was worse, worse than wrestling a gator. It was hilarious. A great big old buck, Brandon. Big old thick neck like that. He's trying to hold on to it like a rodeo and ride that thing. And every time he flips like that, that joker's flipping upside down. And, all, and, and I'm thinking about Abraham. I guess it's an old man. And he's going to walk up to a ram in the thicket. Grab him by the head. Are you crazy? And what I saw, you, you know, you don't have to agree or whatever. But what I saw for the first time in my life was a boy that got up off of the altar. And he walks over to his father in the thicket. And arrests the ram. Helping his father recover the sacrifice that was going to take his place on the altar. And the Lord asked me the question. He said, are you willing to get up off of the altar that you've been on with no understanding and walk with me to the thicket and help me go to work? For what I'm about to do in the earth right now. How many of us love him enough that we believe in his heart enough that when he's through with us on the altar that we're willing to get up and say, all right, whatever you say, let's go over here and get it done. Because there are people in this room, and I'm about to speak to you. I know this is different than I normally preach on a Sunday. But there are people in this room who are frustrated with God. You are heartbroken about God. You have questioned God, and you've wondered why didn't God fix it. And so now we're having a hard time walking into the thicket with him because we're still stuck on the fact that he was going to crucify us. I've laid on this thing. I've had anxiety. Isaac laying there with his palms sweating, sweat dripping off of his brow. Whatever clothing he had on, if he did, was soaking wet. Laying there thinking, oh my God, this is it. And the, the, the man that I trusted the most, that God put in my life to never ever hurt me, to never let harm come to me. He's the one that's about to do this to me. And the enemy has made some of you ask that same question about God. But God, I thought you were stronger than this. I thought you were better than this. I thought you could heal and you didn't heal. I thought you could set free and you didn't set free. Why am I spending all this time on the altar? 
altar but understand me when I tell you that it's very obvious in the heart of Isaac that he trusted the motive of his father that this thing may kill me right now but ultimately the will of God is for me to get up off of this altar and be willing to go to work with my father I've had questions for God over the last eight months just being real with you I thought in the beginning of this thing I thought Lord if there's anybody that's going to be protected it's going to be the church Is this too real on a Sunday morning? I've walked, God only knows how many miles in here. Brother Sean in here. I've walked miles and miles. A bunch of them on this part right here, just walking back and forth. In the beginning of this thing, I said, God, I know you got your hand on us. I know it's not going to come to us. If you kept the plague from your people, you're going to do it. And the plague comes close. We've had to shut down twice. Some of you have sat at home sick for weeks. It's been hard. It's been difficult. People watching today that want to be here and they're scared to come because they, they may feel like they got symptoms and they don't want to get anybody sick. And we appreciate all. You guys have worked so hard to help us keep the doors open. But I, I felt like in the beginning, Brother Joe, like surely. Man, we're, we're covered in the blood. God's got this. And then it comes close to your house. I mean, we got people in here working in the medical field. And I'd, I'd pray over them. I'd, oh, God, please keep those people. They're working, Lord. They're, they're having to deal with it all the time, having to deal with it. Lord, what are we going to do? And for the first time in this whole deal, I saw the Lord show me a man that was out of control. He had no control over what was going to happen next. But when the test was over for Abraham, the test was just beginning for Isaac. I've never seen this before. I'm not saying nobody's ever preached. I'm saying I, I, I've never seen this in my life because it's not in the scripture. But we know Isaac was with him. He was with him when Sarah passes, and he's with him in the next chapter when he sends Eliezer to get him a bride. We know he lived. He's fine. He's there. We see Isaac go on and do his deal. Abraham didn't walk off that mountain by himself. Abraham walked off that mountain holding a hand to steady him of a man that he had laying on the altar just a few minutes ago. But when it was over, that man was willing to get up off of the altar in the biggest test of his life. Oh, God, I hope somebody gets this. It was the greatest test that Isaac would ever see in his lifetime. And he got up off of that altar and he walked over, if I could say it like this, with his father. And he laid hands on worship in the thicket. And he carried worship with his father back to the altar. And he laid that ram on the altar. And there, in the greatest place of his testing, oh Lord Jesus, in the greatest place of testing, he is now offering worship. Yes. 
He just tested me here a few minutes ago, and now he wants me to worship here? (laughs) God, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? He said, will you hold me coming down the mountain like you held me coming up the mountain? Because on the way up the mountain, you were asking questions like you still believed I had answers. He said, if I had answers on the way up, I'll have answers on the way down. But how you respond in the midtime right here. My question for us this morning is, are we willing to walk back with him? What will your perception be of the father? When you walk back with him three days and say, on my way here, I had no clue what I was going to go through. Think about that, church. I had no clue what I would go through on my way here. But I always thought Isaac's test happened when he laid down. Until the Lord woke me up and he said, son, the real test for Isaac was how he responded to me after he got up. Will you still trust me when it's over? After I allowed you to be broken... After you felt like you were losing. What do you do now? You get up off of the altar. And you take him by the hand. You say, Father, wherever you lead me. I don't have time to preach all this. I wish I did. But I find it interesting because Abraham has some things he has to do between Mount Moriah and two chapters later. He's got a byfield in Machpelah. There's a lot that goes on there, but this was so interesting to me. That the next big decision that we see Isaac having to trust his father for is for the selection of a bride. And he sends Eliezer and says, you got to do something about this. Listen to what I'm telling you this morning. It was not until the process was over. And Isaac walked back with Abraham. That Isaac was able to consummate a relationship. That would lead To the production of a future. We preach a lot about harvest. Was that slow enough? Everybody get what I'm saying. His response after the test. Walking with Abraham after the test. Was what allowed God to fulfill his word. Through Isaac that he had given to Abraham. How you respond When God gets finished with this test, is going to determine the kind of harvest that is produced in your life when it's all said and done.
This may be one of the most unique Sunday mornings I've ever been in in my life. But God sent me here on this Sunday to address some people who over the last few months you have hurt and you have questioned and you have wondered, where God are you? Where, where are you in all this? How are you going to fix this? How's this? What are you going to do? And ping pong in your brain, mental ping pong. Oh, what am I going to do? I thought you were going to fix it and you didn't fix it. I thought you were going to heal it and you didn't heal it. And the Lord has one question for you today. When the test is over, will you still walk with me? I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to just bow your heads because we're going to have a transparent moment here. And I'd appreciate it if nobody would look around right now. But if you're in this place right now, and over these last several weeks and months, you've struggled with God's decisions for your life. I just want you to lift your hand. You say, God, I, th I, thought, I thought you were going to fix it. I thought you were going to heal it, and you didn't. But today, the question remains, will you walk with him on the way back the mountain, back down the mountain like you did coming up the mountain with full confidence that he still has the answers? I'm going to make an invitation this morning that's a little different. I have an understanding that we're going to baptize one in Jesus' name today, and for that we're grateful, but I'm going to make an invitation right now. And if you're struggling and you need God to touch you, I'm not asking you to come forward and ask God for anything right now. I'm asking you that if you're willing to still walk with him when it's over, I'm asking you to step out right now and make a profession of your faith and walk to this altar and say, Lord, when it's all said and done, I still trust you. When it's all said and done, I'll still be walking with you. It may have felt like it was going to kill you. It may have felt like you had no answers. But when you get up from that altar of sacrifice, I'm inviting you today to take him by the hand and say, Lord, I still trust you. I'm going to walk with you in whatever your plan is for my life. I trust your plan. And when I cannot see your hand, I'll still trust your heart. Oh. I feel him here. Come on, we're not afraid today. We're not afraid of what man can do to us. Because we trust his hand. We trust him, Lord. We trust you. Brother McFall penned the words of a song. He said, I've seen the righteous man suffer of pain when it looked like the wicked would go free. And in my frustration, it just didn't seem right to me. I asked you for sunshine and you sent rain. I cried for healing and I only got pain. 
But I know your love will see me through. Lord, I still trust you. I don't want to make this a personal thing this morning, but take it from the heart of a preacher that understands heartbreak today. There's things I wish God would have fixed. People that I wish he would have healed and he didn't. But today what I need God to know is that when the sun sets, I'll still be walking with him. Can you imagine the conversation that night? The first night at the campfire with Isaac and Abraham and the servants. Can you imagine? When Isaac looks over at his dad and he said, Dad, that almost happened today. That almost happened today. But God came through. And Dad, I want you to know you weren't out to hurt me. It was just the will of God that had to be accomplished. And if God had to spend me to buy somewhere else, then I can accept the will of God and lay my head down and know tonight by this campfire. But Dad, when you get up and walk tomorrow, I'm going to be walking with you. Some would look at this sermon today and say, Oh, Pastor, that's just a manipulation of a story. There's things about it that I'll never understand. But this is what I know specifically from Scripture. Isaac walked with him up the mountain and he laid himself on the altar. And two chapters later, that same man, he's trusting him to get him a wife. And Isaac walked with Abraham until he was not. So this is what I know. When he didn't understand, he just kept walking. I just need to know if there's anybody here this morning that says, Lord, I'll walk. I'll walk back down the mountain with you today. I'm not going to sit up here and pout because it's the way it was. Come on, it's time to move on. It's time to leave the hurt and the frustration on the altar and let it burn up with the ram. I trust you, God. If I could say it to you like this, I'm done. But I don't find it interesting. Or don't find it a coincidence. I find it interesting that perhaps the source of Isaac's greatest frustration became the source of his greatest consolation. That the hand he held walking up could be the hand he held walking down and that that voice would still be there. How many of you will turn your altar of frustration into a place of worship today?
God, we praise you. When we cannot lift our heads today, you are the glory and the lifter of our head. I pray for hurting people right now. I pray for broken people right now. I pray that there would be a healing that would flood through this sanctuary. Let the power of God saturate us from wall to wall, from the platform to the parking lot. We're not going to back down today, God. Some of us would stay on the mountaintop and tell Abraham to just go on, do his own thing. I'll find my own life because you tried to hurt me. But not Isaac. He walked with his father when it was over. And that's my heart today. I just want to walk with him. It means everything to me. Would you give the Lord praise this morning?